Dear God, we thank you for today. We are grateful for each person here. Lord, I pray that we will set aside whatever's bothering us, whatever stress we had getting here this morning, and, and just focus on you, listen to your word, grab the truth that you want us to have. Lord, we invite your spirit to convict, to challenge, to comfort, to encourage, uh, to call us, to live uh, as your son would have us live, to walk in holiness and truth and authenticity and compassion. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on this time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, our life often gets interrupted by pain. There are moments you may have had where a diagnosis or uh, that was just terrifying or the death of a loved one or something just went sideways, you lost a business where it's hard to even catch your breath. Sometimes life stacks up trouble trials, difficulty, suffering, and you're, you cry out to God, and you're like, what's next? And we want to quit. Uh, we get tired of some of the challenges in life. I was reading about uh, the Apple Corporation. You probably recognize some of these names. The founders were Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne. You probably know at least one of those names, maybe two. Um, Wayne wrote the Partners Agreement, um, and he was going to receive 10% of Apple, the company. Uh, he wrote the manual for Apple One and, and did Apple's first logo and different things. But for various reasons, after 12 days at Apple, he quit. And he sold his 10% of the company for $800. Now today, Ronald Wayne's 10% share uh, that he sold for $800 would sell for over $60 billion dollars. Sometimes it's costly to quit. But we live in a culture where quitting is pretty normal. It's pretty common. Uh, you get a difficult boss, you quit. The apprenticeship is harder than you thought, you, you quit. Uh, maybe you have a really tough season in your marriage, maybe you quit. Um, in contrast, we are called to be people of perseverance, we're called to be people who walk out the tough stuff. You may not know the name, Theodore uh, Geisel, uh, but you probably recognize his pen name, Dr. Seuss. He wrote 60 children's books, translated into 20 different languages, sold about 600 million copies of his books worldwide. Now, what you probably don't know is that his first book was rejected by 23 publishers in a row. What if he had quit? What if he had not taken the risk, taken the, you know, had the courage to reach out to that 24th publisher? And I believe that first book sold about 6 million copies and changed his life fundamentally. You know, life can hit us in different ways, and we have to learn to walk forward. I think of an incident that's found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where David is on the run from Saul. He's uh, got kind of this renegade army that he's leading and they were out doing their thing and they had a base at Ziklag and he comes back with his army to Ziklag and he finds Ziklag in flames. The Amalekites who hated um, David and hated the Jews had, had come through Ziklag and had kidnapped all their wives, their children, stolen anything valuable they possibly could, and just left it just a, a burning mess. 
And here is David, heartbroken. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says this, David was greatly distressed because the men, so these are his brothers in arms, of stoning him, so killing him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. And I love that phrase, David found strength in the Lord, his God. How do we do that? And that particular passage, that particular story doesn't give us much on how, but I want to roll the tape of history forward hundreds of years to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to something he wrote, a letter to Jewish Christians scattered across you know, the Mediterranean uh, area. Um, and so James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and verse 12 is what I'll read as our primary text, and we'll keep returning to this today. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice it doesn't say if you face trials, it says whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. One of my favorite authors is Warren Wiersbe, and he says, outlook determines outcome. And so we need to think about how we look at life, how we specifically look at suffering, trials, difficulties that come our way. I think the first idea that we see in this James chapter 1 passage that we're looking at is our position, our position. Notice what he says in James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think he makes clear who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is Lord, that's a deity title. He's Jesus, that name means Savior, and Christ means anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited promised one all the way from Genesis. So he kind of points out Jesus' position, and he points out our position. So as we deal with the difficulties and challenges of life, our position is that we are a servant, this word is doulos, or slave. Now, that doesn't sit well with us as Americans. We don't like that. I'm a servant. And we need to understand this, that um, you know, servants don't always get treated that well. Servants experience difficulties in life. Remember that whoever is greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves you know, I think we Christians talk a good game when it comes to being servants, but, and I'll just say this for me personally, you know, I, I talk a good game on being a servant, but if you treat me like your servant, I get a little feisty, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we need to remember our position. Notice what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Gentiles is just non-Jewish people. Um, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus modeled this 
He was in heaven. He was God, you know, for all eternity, God the Son. And he stripped off those prerogatives of deity, took on full humanity, lived life as a servant. It's absolutely incredible that he does this. And a servant's position is a position of deep trust. I also think that when we look at this and understand our position, that when you look at James 1-2, it says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So I think he also reminds us that our position is with others. We're part of a family. Uh, Fifteen times in this particular short book, he talks about brothers. He addresses them as brothers. And so we are invited into a Christian family. So we don't have to do the difficulties and challenges of life alone. One of the things I appreciate about being a minister is, and it happened just this week, I called somebody who's gone through a really difficult time, and I was talking to him, and I get to hear about you all. And he just said, you know, The church has been so good to us. And people from this congregation had come alongside him and his daughter and just been been really helpful. And so when we go through hard times, when we go through difficulties, remember you are not alone. Because when we think that we're alone, we have a tendency to isolate and pull back. And we need to make sure we reach out to others. Dr. Michelle Bingston, who has chronic pain, she once wrote this. She said, where do we go when God seems silent, yet our pain screams? Well, I think we still should go to God, still cry out in prayer, but we should also reach out to others. Who's in your life that might understand? Who's in your life who has experienced similar pain? Maybe they've gone through having their spouse tell them, I don't love you anymore, and they leave. Maybe they've gone through a bankruptcy and you're facing that. Maybe they've gone through difficulties with their children's health or even losing a child and they can come alongside you. Even when Jesus, who is both fully human and fully divine, when he faced the cross, he invited his apostles, those closest, to come with him and he reached out to his father. He prayed in the garden Uh, Now, to be honest, those apostles didn't do that great. They fell asleep, but Jesus reached out, and they did wake up eventually and kind of walk beside him. So our position, it's helpful to keep that in mind. We are servants. Set aside, lay aside that sense of American entitlement that many of us tend to have. Idea when we look at this particular passage, when we look at our trials and our difficulties, is our challenge. Our challenge is found in James chapter 1, verse 2. It almost feels like a slap across the face sometimes when you read it, particularly if you're suffering at this moment, which some of you probably are. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Really? Pure joy? When I get a scary diagnosis? Pure joy when I get up every day and hurt. Pure joy when you fill in the blank. This is a tough command here. Naturally, suffering and trials and difficulties provoke from us complaints and groaning and grumbling. And some of us want to reach for something to numb the pain. Maybe it's a substance Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's to drown ourselves in, uh, you know, binging Netflix. I don't know what it might be. 
but we are called to consider it pure joy. I thought it was interesting, and this is a secular psychiatrist, um, Sonia, and her last name I'll mangle a bit, Lumbanisersky, and she studies joy. She studies happiness, which I think that's a cool job, right? To study joy and happiness. And she said one of the top traits for people who are happy is the ability to reframe our situation more positively. That's what we're being asked to do here. Count it all joy. Look at this differently. Take a different posture than just woe is me. Because there is this long-term view, and we'll get to this a little bit more, but understand that, that there is... There is a joy there. Consider, look at the results. Look what's going to happen. You know, when, um, when I was in high school, I, I played soccer. And our soccer coach, um, he would start almost every practice. I think it was every practice, but I might be being dramatic. But most practices, we would run as a group five miles. And then we'd have two-hour practice, and then he ended it, and he was quite the athlete, and he didn't do all the stuff we did through the whole time. He ended it, we did these sprints, and everyone on the team had to beat the coach before we could quit. And that could go on and on and on. It was brutal. However, and this is, you know, if you kind of look ahead, that was challenging and difficult, but we won a lot of games. And if I had to say, it wasn't just skill, it was that so often the other teams ran out of gas. They just didn't have the endurance that we had as a team because that coach had put us through some of these trials. And so we need to understand that, um, and it's been said by many people, but to be human is to suffer, at least sometimes. Jesus once said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, please, when you like flip through the stations and you see some television minister who tells you, I mean, I've literally watched this, that because you're a, a child of the king, you're going to have the biggest, most expensive house you know, your wife is going to have the biggest diamond on her ring. You're always going to be healthy. It's just not true. It's not true. Jesus tells us, you will have trouble. You will have difficulty. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The dark times make the good times seem sweeter. The valleys help you appreciate the mountaintop experiences. There is joy as you victoriously deal with even endure, persevere through challenging times, whether that's a tough season in your marriage or in your finances or with your kids or whatever it might be. One of the ways we change our posture is to ask our Father for wisdom. Help us to learn what we can in this situation. Right here in our text, I didn't read it earlier, but James 1.5, a verse I skipped, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I mentioned that story about David in 
the book of Samuel. And what he did was he cried out to God and said, should I go after these, this army that has devastated my base and taken our wives and our children and all of our stuff? And he got an answer from God, yes, go ahead, go. And so he did. And so part of how we consider pure joy and change our posture is to ask for God's wisdom. How can God bring good out of this? Nick Vujic, and that's V-U-J-I-C, is someone you might want to pull up on the internet and watch sometime, preferably not now. And he was born without arms and legs. And I love listening to him, and he, you know, he follows Christ wholeheartedly, and he has spoken around the world, and he, you can see on his life this profound impact. He's, he's led thousands of people to Christ, and you see not this profound impact in spite of his disability. Imagine not having arms or legs, but because of his disability, because of his suffering. Because when he shows up and he is filled with joy, people are like, man, you've had real adversity. They understand it's the real deal. I appreciate Rebecca Lyons. She says this about resilience, which is just a synonym for perseverance or endurance. She says this. um, She defines resilience as our daily consecrated act of remembering that there is something far greater than our present troubles which offers us the power to endure and to emerge, to change, to grow. And so our challenge is to count it all joy. Our process, the way we do this, is, to, um, is that testing leads to perseverance. Um, James 1.3, our primary text, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Our community just celebrated yesterday perseverance. They had that local marathon. Uh, I'm just curious, has anybody run that marathon? Anybody? We had one in first service. There's somebody. Well, kudos to you. I will never do that. And I am impressed immensely. But it's, it's an incredible act of endurance to run a marathon. And so, but it's through testing, it's through difficulty, it's through suffering that we develop perseverance. And there's really no other way to do it. It's the steady determination. And we all want perseverance. You know you're going to do better in your career. You know you're going to do better in your relationships. You know you're going to do better in life if you're a person of perseverance. And it comes through testing, through difficulty. I love the motto of the French Foreign Legion. This is what it says. If I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. (laughs) I like that. And so our process is testing and having others come around us as we go through these challenges. Dr. Lois Evans, who has passed away, she was the wife of Tony Evans, a minister I like to read and listen to. Um, She once said, she said, if God showed us the whole journey, we would never take the first step. And I think that's true. But he just gives you enough just see a little bit, like, okay, I can, I can, let's move forward. Tony Evans says about a trial, he says, a trial is a div- uh, divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that we may grow, that he may grow us and conform us into the image of his son. So 
There is pain, but because we believe in a sovereign God, there is some purpose in that pain. Now, that is not saying God causes all the pain in our lives. Some of it is our own stupid free will decisions. Some of it's the terrible free will decisions of another person. Say a drunk driver hits your family. Uh, some of it's just we live in a broken world, and so uh, sin has you know, kind of broken creation. The Bible says that creation itself groans. But understand that our process is through testing and God ordains our days. He leads us through these difficulties that show up so that we can look more and more like the character of his son, Jesus. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, um, Luke writes, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And many of your parents, you've been around little kids, how does a little child learn to walk? They get up, they take a step or two, and they fall down. They get up, take a few more steps, fall down. And so they endure. The process is testing. It can hurt sometimes, but that's how it goes. So your trial might be sickness. It might be an accident. It might be a disappointment. It might be a tragedy. Some trials come because we are Christians. Now, we're fairly protected in the United States, but around the world, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ pay dearly for following Christ. Understand that Satan fights against us. The world opposes us. And this makes for a life not of ease and comfort, but a life of battle. And we should expect that as servants of the Most High God. Now, God is working in our lives so that out of the challenges, out of the pain, comes good. And so we develop this, this perseverance. And there are moments where you have to kind of you know, think through things where you have to, you know, become a person of steadfastness and fortitude and, and consistency and, and persistent determination. This doesn't just happen overnight. And there's going to be little tests along the way. And sometimes they're big, sometimes they're little. I remember in the early days of Journey, and it's very common um, when you're planting a church that money is a real struggle. And we had a bunch of bills and, and um, this church in Indiana and said that they would help us, you know, we were in those early times, and, and so we get a check, you know, I open it up, and here's a check from this church, and it's for $15,000, and I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, and I, I'm looking at it, and then in the back of my mind, I went, I remember talking to the, the minister there, and he thought that probably all they could help with was about 5000 and I went, huh, I wonder if this is a mistake, and i got to be honest, I thought about just cashing the check, right? Because they wrote it to us, they gave it to us. But I called and I said, hey, you know, I know I didn't have kind of a final answer, but it seemed like the pastor said it'd probably be about five was his best guess. And this is 15, is that a mistake? And they said, oh, thank you for calling, rip it up. I'm like, oh, <laughs> painful. And we'll send another one for five. And God provided it was fine. It was just one of those little moments, you know. Um, I appreciate James Merritt who said this, life's difficulties are not meant to defeat you, depress you, or even discourage you. They're meant to develop you. You know, when was the last time you failed at something? One author said, and I, I love it, said, failure is simply feedback. So learn the lesson. 
Did I not put in enough effort? Did I not work smart? What happened here? And there are going to be times where things are devastating, where you feel like you're just crawling forward moment by moment. And so our process is this testing leads to perseverance. I appreciate an author, Rebecca Lyons, and she has an 18-year-old who has severe handicaps. And their 18-year-old, Cade, she tells about a time where they were on a trip and they had to return the rental car and her 18-year-old, um, he, he's nonverbal, and so there's some real challenges. But he's, you know, he's 18 years old. He's, he's strong. He's a young man now. Uh, but he'll, you know, as far as they can tell, never be on his own and, and all of this, all the challenges of that. And they go to return the rental car, and they're at the airport, and they've got to run upstairs and make the flight. And Cade, one of his things is he doesn't like transitions. And so Cade, this 18-year-old boy, decides, I am not getting out of this rental car. And so now, here they are trying to make this plane, and the dad is trying to wrestle Cade out of the rental car. And it, it's just brutal. And finally, she, just, she said, I gave up. I took the other kids because you know, we'd have to pay if we missed the flights. And so we, we went and left my husband wrestling with Cade. Well, he did get him out of the rental car. He did get him to calm down. He did get him to the flight, and they all made it. But she said, we have learned with these difficulties, perseverance. And they have learned it to such a state, and this is where I just kind of step back, and, and I think if we haven't been there, we're like, whoa. And so 13 years difference after, you know, they went and adopted a little girl from China who'd been abandoned at a uh, police station who had the same disabilities as Cade because they felt like they were prepared to walk that out. And I don't know about you, but I'm impressed by that. But see, that's perseverance. That's the testing leads to perseverance, and they felt like that was the calling. You see, perseverance provides a bridge between suffering and maturity, which is the next step. Our goal, when we look at this particular passage, our goal is that you would be mature and complete. James 1, 4, and 5, our text again says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Some translations say perfect, but the, the best understanding of, the, of translating the word there is mature and complete. Not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God's goal for our lives is not comfort. It is maturity. It is completeness. Just as you who are parents or coaches or trainers or bosses, your goal for the person in front of you, whether it's this little person who's your child or whether it's this person who works for you, your goal is not always their comfort. Your goal is that they mature and grow and reach their potential. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's hard. And so there can be these challenges to get there. You know, if we could interview a small child um, who's been nursing as a baby and now mom has decided it's time to wean this little baby, if we could interview the little baby, the baby would object, right? I object. But that 
process is crucial for maturity and completeness. And so God spent 25 years working with Abraham before he gave him his miracle son, Isaac. God worked with Joseph in the book of Genesis for many years before he made him second in command in Egypt. God worked with David for at least a decade while he's on the run uh, living, you know, as I kind of told you one story from that season of his life of hardship before he got to be king. Jesus worked with his apostles and he would challenge them and test them. One of my favorite stories is where he gathers them up and he says, okay, so now you're going to go out and you're going to preach and you're going to do miracles, you're going to do all these um, incredible things, but make sure you don't take any money, don't take a bag, don't, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, like basically what my mom and dad would have told me when I'm leaving on a trip is what Jesus said, don't take. But he's testing them. I want you to trust God is what he's doing and what he's saying. And so he's weaning them away from immaturity to maturity. Our goal is to be mature and complete. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, part V, part B, um, it describes that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Our character is to look like Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is through suffering and testing and difficulty. We must value character more than comfort. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, Job, who went through hardship after hardship, lost his children, lost his health, lost his wealth, all of in Job 23, 10, he says, but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I will be mature. I will be complete Now, does Job have some moments, if you go read that lengthy and ancient book, he has some moments, he's a little upset with his friends, he's mad at God, doesn't mean he was perfect, but he clung to God in the midst of all this difficulty, because God brings tests into our lives or allows testing in our lives to bring out the best in us. Warren Wiersbe once said his secretary had a really difficult in her life she had had a stroke her husband had gone blind and then her husband had to be taken to the hospital where they were sure that he was going to die and he sees his secretary who he's friends with her as well and he says I'm praying for you and and he's they're having this conversation she what exactly are you praying for me and he said well that you know God would intervene that he would strengthen you and help you and she said let me tell you something to add and she said this Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. She approached it with a posture of learning, with a posture of growth. Like there are some things I can learn here in the midst of the pain and the difficulty, the suffering. Remember the pattern is clear in Scripture, first a cross, then a crown. We want to go straight crown right? Character is not developed in ease and comfort, but in difficulty. The final idea in this particular passage is our reward, our reward. In James 1 verse 12, our primary text, blessed is the one who, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we get a reward, 
It can be blessing or it can be the crown of life. I think about blessing being more in the here and now and the crown of life being the hereafter, the next life. I think of the Old Testament story in the Hebrew scriptures of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ripped out of their homes, dragged off to a pagan land, Babylon, and here they are trying to faithfully serve God and the king builds this huge statue And he says, hey, when the music starts, everybody's going to bow and worship this statue. And some think it was of him. Some think it was just to his God, whatever it might be. I'm not sure which one it is. And the scholars debate that. But here you have, and I love Bible dramatizations of this story. Because you have thousands of people. The music starts and they all drop down in worship. They fall to the ground. And here are these three guys going, nope. I mean, it's... That's a powerful scene. And when challenged by the king, he kind of, he's trying to give him a chance to, you know, in his mind, you know, he doesn't want to kill him, but he's going to because he's publicly said he would. And they're like, look, we think God's going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. Even if he doesn't. You need to have, I need to have an even if kind of faith. God may come through dramatically in this life. He may not. But we need to have an even if kind of faith. But here's, think about the blessing in that story. In that story, God does show up dramatically. Most theologians believe it's Jesus in the fiery furnace with them. But God does show up, saves them. And so the whole you know, the empire is exposed to the power of God. There is great blessing in this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are respected. This king is knocked on his heels like, oh my goodness, I didn't know who I was dealing with here. There is a God I didn't know that has more power than I can comprehend. And so they were blessed. You know, People respond to reward, and so when you go through suffering and difficulty, there will be blessing in it. I don't know what it'll look like. I appreciate what one author, Dr. Michelle Bensington, says, uh, who has chronic pain, and she says this, your current pain-filled landscape is not your destination. There will be blessing. To be blessed by God is to be spiritually prosperous. It's to be deeply rewarded by God. It's to have an intimate relationship with Him. It's to be walking in purpose and in power. And when we go through tough trials, we are moving towards our greatest blessings and our greatest calling. As a matter of fact, you will often find that people where they are most effective where they do the most for the kingdom is when they have healed through and they have walked through in victory a really challenging struggle. Who can minister better to someone who has lost a child? Deli and I never lost a child. But if you've lost a child, you could come alongside someone. And out of that pain and out of your scars and out of your wounds, you can have a powerful impact. You can be a blessing and advance the kingdom. Understand that there is blessing in this life when we come through difficulties. Most of us look back on some of the hard seasons and there are lessons we have learned there. There are things that have come out of that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, Jesus speaking, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Blessed is that. I mean, that doesn't sound fun. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he says there's blessing and he also says there's reward, there's ultimate reward. There's some kind of blessing, goodness that God brings out in this life and then there's ultimate reward um, the crown of life in the next life. Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I see it in my own life. You know, I, I grew up at a great church in many ways, but there was a season that was brutal and I happened to be a teenager. I wasn't an adult, so I wasn't like mature enough to get it all, but the senior pastor had five affairs. My Sunday school teacher got exposed for you know, his, his serious drinking problem, ended up leaving his wife. It's like everywhere I turned, all the people I looked up to crashed and burned in a short period of time. And yet out of that, out of that difficulty, out of that kind of church hurt and that pain, I have been able, as I healed from that, have been able to walk beside other people and we have definitely, it's definitely been a part of our ministry here where somebody else show up and say, Derek, no pressure, but this is the last church I'm ever going to try. I've been hurt so many times. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> One of my favorite stories of perseverance is William Wilberforce. And I think you see blessing in him and the impact that he had. He was a member of the British Parliament um, he had dreams to abolish British slavery throughout the British Empire. And so here he was, young and in Parliament, idealistic, and he's like, I'm going to get rid of slavery. And he went after that, and he went after it for 34 years. 34 years he went after slavery. And of course, it was a very profitable business, all this pushback, all this money against him. He actually, his health kind of broke. He wasn't great with his health, so he actually had to leave Parliament. He kept working on it from the sidelines, and finally, um, right before he died, they ended slavery because of his efforts and the efforts of others. Three days after they ended slavery in the British Empire, William Wilberforce died. A lifetime of perseverance, but think of blessing Think of what he gave to thousands of people around the world that got their freedom. Think of his legacy. Think of what was done for the kingdom. He, he did this out of uh, the overflow of his Christian faith and the compassion that came from it. So there's blessing. There's also the crown of life. There's, the, there's not just the full life here. There's the future life of the new heavens and the new earth Jesus talks about this. He points it to us. See, in this life, we're, we're forgiven. We're made part of a family. We're loved. We're given purpose and calling. There's all this blessing, but that's just a taste of what the next life is like. Maybe you're sitting here and you have this amazing marriage and you're super close to that person, but in that amazing marriage, there's still some sin, right? Just a little bit. You know, they say something that's a little unkind or, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I bought myself a shirt at Costco. I was left unsupervised the other day. And I bought myself a shirt. And my wife says to me, this is what she says to me. She says, yeah, I really like that shirt. She goes, usually when you buy clothes on your own, it causes me great dismay. <laughs> we all have our cross to bear. 
But there is a crown of life. There is something that we get to look forward to. Imagine a place with no sin, no death, no disease. Imagine a place where everybody tells you the truth, where everyone's authentic and compassionate and kind. And so, and, and we're in the very presence of God forever. The most interesting person ever. And we get to learn and grow. And, and I don't know all the details. I don't know the furniture of heaven. But boy, it looks incredible. And so Jesus does this. You know, he, he came and lived a pretty difficult life. He came and, you know, took life on our term, had to be a baby, had to answer to, to you know, parents. You know, that's rough when you were God the Son for all eternity. You've got to answer to parents. And you know, he lived in poverty, he dealt with rejection, all this stuff. But in Hebrews chapter 12 too, it says kind of how he did it. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He kept that joy set before him, that we would be saved, that, that this family would be in heaven together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Some take that very literal. Some, it's um, numerology in, in the book of Revelation 10 just means a full set. So it's a short, because it's days, not years, but it's a, a full set of suffering. Um, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And so we look forward to eternal life. We look forward to eternal rewards. God sees what you do in secret. He sees your little act of kindness and servanthood that nobody else sees and he'll reward you for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, there's kind of this image um, looking for a crown. You know, in the ancient games, they would get crowns when they would win a race. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Maybe you have some trophies at home. Maybe you have some award given to you by your work. Those don't, they're not eternal. But the crown of life, these are eternal rewards. These are lasting rewards. 1 Peter 5, 4 talks about we receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 talks about for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I gotta be honest, it's tough. If you're going through a really, really hard season, it's tough to view it as light and momentary trouble. But compared to the glory of the next life, it is. And the thing that helps me is, you know, because we've raised five children, is, you know, sometimes children just, they don't, they don't get it. Like, little kids, like, what they think is just the end of the world, right? It's not the end of the world. And I think sometimes something I think is just a disaster, God is like, really, Derek? That's not the end of the world. And we will get to see what our sacrifice accomplished. We will get to see the difference that we made. God will draw all those lines. I was reading about it's a famous missionary, Adoniram Judson. Not sure if I'm saying his name right. He's a missionary to Burma. He wanted to go to India first. Um, he established 
uh, in Burma, 63 churches and personally led over 6,000 Burmese to faith in Christ. He left America when he was 22 years of age to be a missionary, took his wife. They get to India. That's where they were going to try first. They get to India, and they couldn't get in. They, they wouldn't let them in. And so um, they're stuck on the boat, the ship, for weeks, and his wife is pregnant, and so she had to give birth in the midst of a storm. I mean, that's a bummer, right? And so she gives birth in the midst of a storm. For six and a half years, they finally do get into Burma. Um, They share the gospel as much as they possibly can. He tried to do it every day that he had an opportunity, and no one came to Christ. Uh, Some of their donors back in the States are like, you need to come home. You're not effective. You're not good at this. But he kept at it. He got put in jail. He got put in prison for preaching. And they actually, I mean, it was really inhumane. They chained him so that his back, his shoulders, and his head were on the ground. And his legs would be held, held high off the ground in these stocks. And he was in that position. And he had to eat in that position, sleep in that position, go to the bathroom in that position. It was brutal. Because he was preaching. That's what got him in trouble. His wife and three children died in Burma. His second wife and their two children also died in Burma. Time and time again, he could have given up and gone home and said, this isn't for me. But he stuck it out, spent his life there. And today, there are 3,700 churches in Burma that trace their beginning to his work and the seeds that he planted. Now, Don't you think that is going to be fun in heaven as God draws all those lines? And I know it sounds hard to believe, but his difficulties, I think he would tell us, if he could, were light and momentary troubles. I know that's hard to believe. Jesus, when he was on the cross... He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think that's how he felt. But in our audience, we wouldn't necessarily get it, but the Jewish audience, those listening, they would know, oh, he sang the first line of Psalm 22. I should go read Psalm 22. Well, Psalm 22 is not all dark. It ends up with vindication. It changes. It ends up being hopeful. And so Jesus is looking forward, even in his darkest moment as he's dying on the cross. So before I give the big idea, let me just give you a prayer that I like. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. It's known as the serenity prayer. And I think it's helpful to grab hold of that. The big idea this morning is this, display godly grit and finish well. Display godly grit, whatever you're facing right now, and finish well. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, there are some in chronic physical pain, and that's a hard place to be. Lord, there are some up to their neck in emotional grief over a recent loss of a loved one. Lord, there are those feeling the full weight of financial difficulty. There are some that have lost a business. Lord, help us to count it all joy. Lord, help us to be people of sacred endurance, powerful perseverance, to have a posture as your servants 
who are like, Lord, this isn't fun, but we don't want to waste it. Teach us what you want to teach us. Help us to have an impact, whatever the cost. Lord, this is our prayer in the powerful name above all names, Jesus Christ, amen.